This is the Delivery Space podcast. Whether you're interested in software delivery, business change or transformation, we have some great content lined up for you. We launch into different areas of project delivery and bring you insights and experiences that you will not get from a book. Welcome, I'm Nisha. And this is our episode on the relationship between a product owner and a scrum master. I have a really special guest joining us today who I'm delighted to welcome, Martin Dalmain. Welcome, Martin. How are you doing this morning? I'm doing great. It's kind of cold. Probably the same over there. It is. It's cool. Run up to Christmas. Um, Yeah, right now, if I look outside, we have got, um, yeah, gray skies and but same here same here yeah but looking forward to some downtime and some family time in a few weeks so that's always the best thing about christmas the family the the, like the the fireplace the hot chocolate yeah in dutch we say gezellig you know this 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 word that are you familiar with that word i'm familiar with huger but not gezellig so gezellig is like the german word gemütlichkeit i believe it's kind of like this cozy warm feeling of everyone being together enjoying themselves all wrapped into a single word. So that's what I, uh, when I talk about Christmas, that that's the feeling of Christmas, I think, as well. Oh, wow. Actually, it's um, it's quite, what do they say? In English, you say onomatopoeic. So it actually sounds like it feels, like the, the feeling it's supposed to convey. Gisela, thank you for that. Martin, would you like to introduce yourself to our listeners? Yeah. So, uh, hi, I'm uh, Marta. Um, I'm very much interested in product management, Agile and Scrum. Um, I advise companies and teams in how to build empowering teams and beat Feature Factory. I've got a book coming out next year, so uh, we'll be out delivering value with sprint goals. And yeah, uh, I'm an active member, I think, of the community. I don't know what else to say. Like <laughs> that, that's about it. So I, I, I'm really coming from the trenches. I'm ahead of. I was ahead of product, like. So uh, I'm somebody who writes about how to do things, not just the theory. So the combination of the two, I think that kind of sets me apart from many, I believe. Yeah. And Martin, that fits in really well with the ethos Sharon and I have put into the podcast. We want to hear from people who are practitioners day to day, not those sitting apart from it and observing certain scenarios. We want to hear people from people who are working in delivery, working with clients, working with customers, working with end users and sharing their experiences. So, yeah, we wholeheartedly welcome you. And I should say, actually, I remember because I want our listeners to know this because it's a good insight into you. Actually, I first came into contact with you years ago. It was during lockdown when I was trying to give myself a refresher into Scrum and write a few articles. So through Paddy, I came in, Paddy Corey, I came into contact with you. Yeah, Yeah, so uh, starting to write articles and things like that, getting a few things wrong because I was referring to a previous Scrum guide, etc. And I want to just take the time out to thank you because you took a very non-judgmental but very encouraging approach to what I was writing about gave my experiences the airtime and just took time out to listen um, to what I wanted to write about and get across. So thank you for like your editing efforts on my articles. Thank you. Um, there's also a selfish reason, right? I love doing it. Like I love helping and I try to do it. I also see it as a way of leveling up myself because it's very difficult, you know, like to be non-judgmental. So I, I see this practice, like how can I reach someone in a way that it resonates? It's not easy. Like, uh, so yeah. No. 
thank you. <laughs> no, not at all. And I see you doing it recently, most recently. Um, I've spotted some of your posts on looking at Scrum Master CVs and giving honest feedback so they're hitting the right notes. So you're doing really the community a great service there because say one Scrum Master job description from another job master uh, scrum master job description can read so differently and you can start as you start coming across these opportunities read between the line on lines on where an organization actually is so you you're actually um in hitting the right notes in your cv as a side uh, product of that sifting out the opportunities that are perhaps not right for you and your growth too yeah. you're absolutely right like there's a wide range of opportunities <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> ranging from amazing to kind of terrible let's put it that way yeah yeah or a scrum master come project manager role where it's not clearly understood what the function is right and you want to you want to kind of stop scrum masters going down that route because it, it could be detrimental um but we're here to talk about the relationship between a scrum master and product owner you and i both know that's crucial to a team performing really well and serving its customers. Can you share some standout examples from your own career on when that relationship has worked really well and sparked a great collaboration? Yeah. So I'm a big fan of empower teams or self-managing teams. And I think um, what I really don't like is this opposition, right? That sometimes is present, like, I'm the product owner. I want different things than the scrum master. I really want to reach a state where we're all in the same boat. Like that, that I think then you can have the best collaboration. And I do understand, of course, that um, they might be coming at it from a slightly different perspective. But I think it's about engaging in a dialogue that because I think that the perspective should be very similar. In the end, the goal of scrum is to help build empowered teams that deliver value. But the key thing is empowered teams that deliver value. I want that. I don't, I mean... If they're not empowered, then I'm going to be super busy holding their hand. I don't want to do that. I want to have empowered teams and I want them to deliver value. And the Scrum Master wants that too. So as long as we're aligned on that, I don't think there is a lot of, I, I mean, I rarely had friction with if we like looked at it from that approach. Then it goes very well, uh, as long as you have the same objective, I think. Yeah, I think so too. But I've on the flip side, right, Martin, yeah. I've had... Um, some real i'd say experiences that have taught me a lot and these experiences are quite um quite jarring in a way because i've had them where you know the product owner will enter a scenario with a scrum yeah. team and right from the get-go they'll be like you you build the product as i say <laughs> i know the direction it should go in and at, and and then you can just see the reaction of the team to that kind of um um uh, a setting it's just it, it jars with the team yeah. and also you forget that that the team are fully capable engineers seasoned engineers often that you're sitting in front of that have been around the loop doesn't matter what framework they're using but they have been probably um you know um in the similar sin scenarios and actually want to give input and you know what like one thing that you just said around having that dialogue more and more I see engineers within teams who want to know why they're building features that they're building, how it's going to help customers. They don't, before, a long time ago, when I first got into software development, you'd have the attitude of, you just tell me what to build, I'll go ahead and build it, yeah? No, that's true. Yeah. Now, 
that's so evolved in, in the way that you know developers are actually invested because it's evidence of their craft you're absolutely right and i i think that's that's really important so you're touching up on a really important point i think I don't want to sound negative, but I think many product owners, they still have this old-fashioned mindset where they're like, I'm the owner. I dictate what's going to happen. And I don't believe that's the right mindset. Even though it says owner, you shouldn't act like I'm the boss. I don't believe that produces the best results. It's very mo- it isn't very motivating like for people. Like the way I compare it is like the conductor of an orchestra, right? So what's interesting is if you look at classical orchestras, they started playing without a conductor. And at some point, it became so big that they needed a conductor to keep things synchronized. So, of course, the main job of, uh, of a conductor is to paint this vision, like how we're going to perform this piece, like make sure that we're going in this right direction. But they're not a bully, right? Like they're not going to tell you, you have to do it this way. Like they're not, they don't know more about the violin than a violin player. And that's kind of how I see it. Like how do you bring all these people together and they don't need you. That's what that's what I'm working with. Like, like just like a classical orchestra, they can play perfectly fine without a conductor. Uh, and that's what I tried to aim for. And then I think you can get far better results and everybody's far more engaged. Uh, and yeah, the bully product owner, if I may call it that way, there are many of them that leads to poor results, everyone being frustrated. And that's a clear anti-pattern to me. Yeah, I, I fully agree with you. Um, I think there's so much to be done in this space to make sure that, you know, like um, there are articles that are written around Scrum Masters and product owners. And a lot of them say, yeah, the Scrum Master focuses on the team. The product owner is focused on the product. Theory based, that's okay. But every single day when you're breathing the same air or you're online virtually figuring out where to take a feature, how it's going to shape up, how you're going to deliver value. Are you online to deliver your sprint goal in that two week increment you're going to produce? It's the lines are are a bit more blurred and there's more gray areas than just black and white. I agree. And I think the best teams are kind of like the I mean, this is, I'm Dutch, right? So I'm going to make a Dutch comparison, like total football, okay. like the, the Dutch team, like in seven, I think it was 74. They, they, they revolutionized football because instead of like thinking in this silo manner, like you have a defender, you have a midfielder, you have an attacker, they were switching positions. Like attackers were becoming defenders, defenders were becoming attackers. And I think that's the right attitude to have in a team because that's why we have cross-functional teams, like collaboration, like taking stuff over from each other, helping each other out. Those are the best teams. And, and if you already focus on, I'm a, I'm a backend developer. I only do backend development. I don't do testing. I don't do frontend. Then you're not going to have the best performing teams because you're not going to be able to really effectively collaborate because you're not interested in each other. And that's what I think uh, we should be aiming towards. It's not easy, but uh, yeah. if you achieve that, you have the best teams in my opinion. Yeah. And it's very, very much an organization's culture comes to play there as well. Yeah. Um, yeah that that is that is a team to be um reckoned with at the end of the day <laughs> isn't it yeah. um football aside i'm going to look up total football and what what went down in 1974 did you say yeah i think it was 74 uh, okay i'm going to look that up because i i had not heard of it but that is a team to be reckoned with right people will look at your team and go actually look at those guys over there look at how they're gelling look at yeah. how they're working together look at what they're achieving and what their outcomes are their product owner is walking around with a smile on his face. So is his scrum master because they're all, you know, playing in harmony and working, moving in the same direction. 
and really so, happy with their own work. So that's a very interesting word you mentioned there. I want to call it play, right? So yeah. I think to be able to play, you need to be immersed, right? And the moment someone yes. say, like calls out like, no, you're a defender, you can't do that, or you have to do it this way, you're no longer playing. So I'm not saying you should never do that, right? Like if, if like you're doing stuff, but I'm you have to be very mindful that that sense yeah. of play, I think that's essential for high-performing teams. So I don't know. I mean, I'm going to be talking about something else now, but like there was this documentary, like Light and Magic, about industrial light and magic. So that's the special effects company behind Star Wars, Indiana Jones. You posted what? about this, yeah. I remember. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. so what I find very interesting is if you look at this documentary, like you see so much play. You see these people enjoying themselves, having drinks together, like not because they have to, right? Because somebody, but because they love what they do. And I think the sense of play that brings out the best in people, like you need that, like you need a little bit of joking around because if people don't do that, then they're in a straitjacket. They feel like they're in a silo or you need to perform. They cannot be like humans are playful, you know, yeah. just like we are now. Like we're, we're doing this for fun on our Saturday. Like uh, we're not doing this because we have to. And I think that getting that state of sense of play is, is super important. Yeah. Do you know what? I so wish that the, that duo, the product owner and Scrum Master duo is able to taste what that feels like to be in a team. Or, you know, I was looking after a bunch of teams for a broadcasting um, corporation here in, in London a few years ago. And I could feel that it was a... Um, it was a very real feeling that you could feel in that environment of cooperation and it feels so different it's so much nicer to be part of that and when you when you switch and you work in an organization where there are clearly those silos it's a limiting thing isn't it and it, yeah. it weighs heavy on you yeah yeah i've been in situations where i've been incredibly frustrated because of silos like where i was just thinking i'm in some kind of dystopia like we're making absolutely the wrong decisions and it Absolutely in no context makes sense, except in this context where somebody's just wearing their, for example, legal hats and just thinking, we have to do it this way because I'm legal and I'm only going to be thinking because of my, from my own perspective, not how it affects the company or the bottom line. No, we need to do the best thing from a legal perspective. And that's stupid, right? Like, because yeah, yeah you need to do what's best for the company, like, and not just like, uh, yeah, be perfect from a legal perspective, like, <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. And I think where where different business functions are not involved in the effort or the initiative that the scrum team or set of scrum teams is working on, that's when you actually start multiplying the bad behaviors, right? Yeah, so if correct. you're in a, you know, when you're in a an environment where you've got, I don't know, two to three scrum teams operating towards a particular product or a set of products, but then you decide to scale you got to remember that you are actually scaling the bad practices if you have any. If you're not yeah. involving other business functions, et cetera, to start off with, they're not bought in. Um, and I think, yeah, that's a super important point. And it makes things come to life. It makes it also it takes the engineers out of their everyday as well. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you're touching like scaling is so difficult. But I think what makes it most difficult is like when you're with a few teams you can cover up some of these dysfunctions, right? You can get away with it. You cannot get you can get away with not solving them in an agile way. But the yeah. moment you start scaling, you have to solve them in an agile way. Like, and and that that I think is the key thing. Like people think like, oh, we're scaling now. We're having scaling problems, but they weren't scaling problems. They were already visible. You were just mm -hmm. you were you were just covering them up in a dysfunctional way. That's not immediately evident. That's my experience, at least. For example, like. Um, 
lot of less when you have less teams, you can fix quite a lot by coordinating, right? By by mm -hmm. planning together. Because you're with a few teams, you can get away with it. But then when you start scaling, it's not about this better coordination. It's about better collaboration. Like something happens and you need to react. It's kind of more like being like a jazz band, right? Like yeah. you need to respond to each other. You need to act in the moment. And that's incredibly difficult. And most teams, because it doesn't come naturally, they fall back to this coordination approach. And then you start scaling. And then that coordination approach isn't good enough because you don't know enough. Like there will be surprises and you need to react. And that's, I think, a key thing, like, you scale like watch out like scaling problems might not be what you think they are <laughs> yeah that's a really good point actually it's it's one for deeper contemplation because what you think might be a problem that you've encountered with your teams could be is multiplied yeah. the moment you start scaling and it's almost like um what how can i um an analogy that I that immediately comes to mind is your own personal development, right? Yeah. Where the, the team represents that, your own personal development. Now, if you were going to go and chase after bigger goals in your life, you need to check your state first. Yeah, Do correct. you not? So like a state check, I think, uh, or um, I know it's coined an agility health check yeah. is, is something that's coined, but it is quite necessary to do. Um, in teams I think in terms of those relationships because it's all about people forget the framework that you're using yeah. it's all about people at the end of the day and the relationships that you actually build up so you said something important it's, it's not about the framework right but now I'm going to challenge you a bit because Go on, one, one thing I agree with you I'm not going to challenge you on that but one thing I find very interesting is if you look at scrum for example it's a scrum master right so it, like the name already says, kind of, or kind of suggests it's about Scrum, but it isn't, right? But, but that's one of the things where I'm like, I mean, probably all the names I can criticize and I don't want to go there, but um, <laughs> <laughs> Scrum Master just is for, to me seems like a very poorly chosen name because in the end, if you want empowered teams and they don't want to do Scrum, I think every Scrum Master will agree. If they want to do something else, we're going to do something else. But this Scrum Master like kind of pigeonholes a Scrum Master to be a master of scrum this is what they do and some scrum masters even act this way where they're like they're not gonna i'm not gonna let them do something else than scrum because then i'm no longer a scrum master and that's some one of these things where I'm, and, and as well it opens pandora's box because now we have agile coaches because they're a c-level that think yeah a scrum master just knows scrum they don't know anything about the organization or agile so yeah that's one of the things where i'm like ah eh, i'm i don't know if it's like i don't know i'm curious to hear your opinion right uh, yeah I'm, you know no this is a sore point with me actually from also it a scrum master kind of also implies a very male sort of yep. role where there are so many amazing women carrying out that role too um so it, yeah it, you strike a chord definitely <laughs> with me and that name of scrum master you know take that name away for a minute take that label away you're still a great collaborator yeah. You're a bringer together of people. You're an enabler. You're a catalyst with the business and tech and someone who sparks dialogue between those. That name is a reference to a framework, yes, but the name doesn't give you all of that. Your skills give yeah. you those qualities. That's my feeling on it. I love Scrum. I absolutely love it. I think it's a great idea, but I also think that it needs to be adapted 
and moved away from if necessary. If your team is coming to a place where they feel that they are limited in any way um, by a particular framework. So, yeah, I think that Scrum Master doesn't really do the role justice because it references a particular framework. So we're on the same page. But what I can say is there are two things here at play, I think. There's so much money in certifications. Like, Gosh, it's me. never going to change. Like, that's my honest opinion. Like, there's, there's just too many PSM 1, 2s and 3s. They're not going to change it. And and, and then maybe I'm wrong, right? Maybe they shouldn't change it. But but let's assume I, I'm right. Like, they're never going to change it. Like, that's what I unfortunately think. Because it means changing all the trainings, all the training materials, all the badges. I don't think it's going to happen, unfortunately. And that's the sad thing, I think. Like, like we have this agile industrial complex and it's all about yeah making money like we see more and more certifications and uh, that makes me sad in a way like because yeah scrum should be about inspect and adapt and i don't think that's the case to be honest because let's be really real like all the scrum guides there isn't like this document describes hey this is what we see going wrong and this is why we made these changes and then to evaluate like did these changes help no it's not happening and even like the latest version, I know there was a leaked release candidate. Like I know like the people hated it or the, the, the scrum trainers, like they were very critical of it. And then suddenly it was completely rewritten. And what, why, like based on what? Completely intransparent. And I think that's that's a shame. Like, like yeah. they should be more transparent about it because it's not just from the scrum.org or the scrum trainers. Like it's used by people all over the world. And yeah, and they will say, like, we do many trainings, so we get, get our, a lot of feedback. Yeah, but there's no transparency there for me whatsoever, like, unfortunately. Yeah. And maybe make it a bit more data-driven. Maybe yeah, pull that data, maybe pull that data that's coming in from courses being given by Scrum trainers, questions. I see a lot of really cool Scrum trainers actually releasing great material yeah. online. Actually look out for their posts on LinkedIn, Martin, <laughs> because I know that someone somewhere has got a query and then they go and actually they go and release it or they'll produce a, um, either a video or a post about it to answer a question that a trainee has asked or a practitioner has even asked that's come to their ears. So they'll answer that, which is great. I wish there was a, a more data-driven data appro approach, if you like, to assimilating those questions and saying, this is why we changed the guide. Here is the evidence. Yeah, or well, I wish so too. And uh, so I do want to call out Christian Verweis. Like I think he, what he's doing with like uh, having us think more critically with evidence, I think that's really good. But let's have Scrum.org or like the, the people that, I mean, what I'm saying is wrong. Scrum.org does not maintain the Scrum Guide. But no. Let at least be the Scrum Guide more based on evidence. Mm. Uh, because now to me, it doesn't appear like it is uh, at all. Like And and. and Maybe it is, but where's where is the transparency there? Yeah, yeah, that's a very very good point. Um, back onto yep. the topic, I have one final question to ask <laughs> you because I think we've covered pretty much all the questions that I had, but we've covered them in, in dialogue between you <laughs> and I, which is great. Um, conflict. Now, yeah. inevitably, there's going to be some conflict that's going to yeah. exist between product owners and scrum masters yes i've been in those scenarios yeah it's not pleasant no especially when you're driving in two different directions yeah 
you, I know you're a seasoned product owner, Martin. How have you dealt with this? Can, and can you give us tips? Yeah. So I think, so this is one thing which makes, and I'm going to be generalizing, I could be wrong, but I'm curious to hear your perspective. I think. So what I've, I've had conflicts with Scrum Masters quite a lot, actually. Um, and I think one of the challenges is the product owner often has a better position like in the in the organizational hierarchy, like more power, more influence with powerful stakeholders. So whenever there was this conflict, if I, how do you say, wanted to win, it, it was very often an uneven match. Like let's put it that way. <laughs> if I just really wanted to like upper hand them. And that's one thing I don't like doing that, right? But I have to be fair. Like sometimes I've been in situations where let me give you an example. Um I joined a new team and uh, this was a finance team and it was, there was no product backlog. There was literally nothing. And it's got like, this team was waiting and there was a scrum master and the scrum master said, we need to do a team charter. We need to do sprint zero. We need to do all these things. And, and I had a very different opinion. I was like, no, like we should first talk to the stakeholders. What is the biggest problem and fix that start, start working and, if we encounter problems in the way we collaborate or whatever, then we fix those problems. We're not already thinking like we need this, but I'm more of the opinion like, what if we don't? Like, like let's just get started. And then as we encounter problems in collaboration or whatever, we fix it. And um, so he, him and me couldn't agree. And I just talked to the team and said, hey, we're going to do this. And he, he lost, so to speak. And yeah, um, so the, and as well, the main difference is within two weeks, we delivered something. The stakeholders were super happy with us. We had trust. If we would have followed his approach, uh, that wouldn't have happened. All we would have had was some confluence patients, spikes, no tangible results, and the stakeholders would have been unhappy. So now we everybody was smiling. The stakeholders were smiling. Everybody's proud. I think it's the better approach, but I was not able to convince this scrum master. And then I was like, okay, so I'm going to upperhand him. And he was frustrated. But in the end, he saw the end result. He was like, okay, I didn't expect that. It was the best approach. So, yeah, I don't know. Like, what is your uh, opinion on this one? <laughs> yeah, my opinion is go for the most direct approach. Solve, <laughs> solve problems. If you've got the backing of stakeholders, you've, you've enlisted them, you've got a listening ear from them to say, you know, this is what the team is intending on delivering yeah. to you. Will you back us? And you've got that blessing. Why not? Yeah. Why not do it? Because you can learn from it. And as long as you've got a fail fast approach, you if it doesn't go, it doesn't go well. Okay. Yeah. That's an approach you strike off your list. But you got to do something. Yeah. And I completely agree with you. I think <clears throat> one of the challenges is we always think before we start, we need this or we need that. And we overestimate our ability to predict. Like, And, and we're doing complex work, right? So the, yeah. the kind of the idea is there, you know less than you'd like to think. There, there are going to be surprises. So even when rolling out Scrum, I think that's a very natural like way of doing it. We shouldn't think like when we start a new team, we need this or that and all this stuff in place. I think when you have psychological safety in place, when you just tell them, hey, we're going to get started. And if we fail or if we like encounter obstacles, then we're going to inspect and adapt and see yeah. like th that's my preferred approach instead of immediately like definition of ready. You need to have this or that. No, like that, that just builds something cool. Like yeah, that, I'm pragmatic, I guess. <laughs>
Yeah, I think there's also confidence giving measures to the team. Yeah. So like you said, in this scenario, it was a new team. Yeah. And you, you want to be able to, as a scrum master, I would be willing to take a few risks if my team came out of it more confident. Yeah. Whether what they did worked or not, even if it didn't work, it, I would not let that destroy their confidence. I would be saying that's something that you can strike off your list. Why? We know that doesn't work. Yeah, let's, exactly. Let's hit. Let's let's then hit the ideas board again and figure out with our product owner what we believe is going to work. And you'll have thought about those approaches when you're thinking about this one approach that you just want to go ahead with and and kick off your sprint with. So yeah, I would be take those risks, Grand Masters. <laughs> take those risks, but you know, have have a, a fail fast mechanism behind it. But definitely take those risks if it's going to get you buy-in from your um, product owners, but also from your stakeholders um, and your higher-ups, do it. You made me think of another question, Martin, and that's like, it's doubling back a few questions beforehand, but I think it's important to ask, do you think Scrum Masters have been kept down in organisations to focus just at team level and not being able to rise up a little bit and go actually some I, I need to gather evidence I need to see what the uh, take a temperature check in the rest of the organization see what the appetite of changes yeah. um, work with higher up C-level uh, guys just to see you know understand what their challenges are yeah. do you do you think that's what's happening so I'm I'm unsure about the exact reason so I think I, I, my feeling is I don't think C-level or management is intentionally putting anyone down. My feeling is that, I mean, I worked at a company, for example, where there was an agile coach. She was doing a great job on the team level. Um, but the problem is if the C-level, you're not visible to the C-level, mm. then they're like, what is he or she doing? Like, and, and and so there was a moment where there needed to be people laid off and he or she was laid off, not because she wasn't doing good work or he or she wasn't doing good work, but because um, it just wasn't visible. Like they didn't see it. They didn't see the added value. And I think that's really important, but that's also like in any job, right? Like um, the ones who determine your promotions need to know what you're doing. It's not enough to be active with your teams and they're them saying that you're great. You need to be visible at higher levels because they are the ones determining your promotion. And yeah. that's one thing I very often see is that Scrum Masters kind of love working with the team. It's a, it's a it, it, I mean, it's fun, right? And it's a bit mm -hmm. more easy. It's a bit more equal. And then when you get this organizational level, it's a bit more political, a bit more murky, a bit more difficult. They, Many of them kind of tend to stay away from it or not spend as much time from it. But that's where the biggest gains can be made. But it's exactly. absolutely incredibly difficult I mean, I've also failed many times like at, at obvious stuff where it's like, what we're doing is completely insane, but I was not able to influence people like to change it. And, and, and it's incredibly difficult. And yeah, if you tend to stay away from that, you're not going to make a big impact. And I have the feeling, and I'm also curious to your perspective, that many scrum masters kind of don't like it as much or not as good at it. So they kind of stay in their comfort zone, in the team bubble. You know, it's fun. But uh, yeah, that's not how you're going to make the biggest impact because the biggest agility uh, obstacles are often on the org level. Like the way the organization is structured, the way the roadmap is created, and those are difficult, difficult, difficult things to change. Extremely difficult. Mm. 
So I, I'll share a personal example. Yeah. I used to be like that. I used to be a scrum master that would completely get my kicks from working with the team, seeing them doing well, improving the dynamics with them, seeing them achieve the outcomes they were going for, keeping the product and working in tandem with the product owners that you know we, we were coming across within the organization. And then one day, one of my managers said to me, Nisha, would you like to give a presentation on behalf of the team of what the team have achieved? Now, this was in front of, um, I don't know, probably a group of about 200, 250 people. Oh, that's scary. It was scary, but I took the opportunity. I took it gladly because I recognized in that one moment that I could be a little um, a little PR um uh, voice for the team and what the team was carrying on achieving despite the challenges it was having despite the changes within the organization and there were four teams both onshore and offshore that were working together um, so yeah I took the opportunity and I did it and now that's actually put a digit in my head to say actually am I being that PR person for that team am I reaching out through communication um, mechanisms that are available to me to say, hey guys, do you want to listen to what my team's up to? They're delivering some great stuff. They're delivering some great things. This is the impact that they're having on the business. And to be able to say that and to say, you know, either through lunch and learns or through presentations that you're invited to give across teams and within organizations, it's really such a good opportunity to take because that gives you exposure. And that gives you visibility. And those are the things that Scrum Masters, I don't think, can afford to, um, yeah, can afford to go easy on. Those are the things they have to actively look for. Yeah. And it's scary, right? Like, not everybody has yeah. the courage to do that. Unfortunately, like, um, presenting for 300 people is not easy. Uh, you did it. But I'm sure there are some Scrum Masters I'm like, yeah, no, I'm out. <laughs> I'm not going to do that. <laughs> I know. It was the scariest thing I've ever done. Um but it was something that made, I think it empowered me because I was representing such a great team and teams can do that for you, yeah. right? You know, they're achieving, you know, you've worked hard with them, you know, they continue to bring their best to it. You think, actually, this would be a great thing I could do for them and also get exposure, which is, you know, which is something that they can do to bring further value um, to, you know, to their organization. So, yeah. I have thoroughly enjoyed our chat this morning, Martin. Would you like to leave our listeners with some takeaways? So that, you know, any final thoughts on this key relationship? Yeah. Um, don't see it as competing roles. See it as roles that are in the same boat. They want to achieve the same things. We both want to have empowered teams. We both want to deliver value. And, and if there's a difference of opinion on that, work on fixing that. Like, mm. Because otherwise you're permanently not going to get the best out of your team because the product owner will be a bully maybe, you know, or a dictator. Uh, and um, I think that's one key takeaway for me. Um, I think the other one is, uh, yeah, let, let the team, like, empower the team as much as possible, right? Like, like I think that that's, really important because it's not just about like being empowered to deliver value but it's as well being empowered to discover better ways of working like mm -hmm. um, because otherwise scrum will just be a framework like 
will not achieve its goals. It's purposefully incomplete, you know? Yeah, I think those are two. Uh, and the third one is the final one we just talked about, in my opinion. Um, get get visibility in the organization. Like, make sure they see the team's value, your value, um, and make sure you can you get like enough influence. Like, you're in a good position to influence, um, because otherwise you're going to be stuck doing Scrum on the team level, uh, not in an agile way, because the rest of the organization is not agile. That's what I see far, far, far too often. That those are the three main points. Do you have anything to add? <laughs> I, I love those points, and I um, I've experienced each one of them, so I know how vital they are as takeaways for Scrum Masters. Um, I would, yeah, I, I echo them. The one thing I would want to say to Scrum Masters is courage. Um, yeah. And they know this a lot. The scrum masters that I speak to right now is that you, you need to summon the courage. And what you were saying um, outside of the call before we kicked it off, Martin, patience. Yeah. So you'll come across organisations who perhaps are resistant to change, or there are pockets that are more open to change. And there is that level of patience as scrum masters that you do need to have to understand and you know, keep that log with you of where you've had great teams great dynamics what that feels like and those key ingredients that key box of tricks that you've got in your hand to take that team for where you want to be and don't lose sight of those things they're really super important thank you so much martin for your time today it's been such an enjoyable chat i want a part two would you be up for it absolutely i'm absolutely up for it <laughs> Excellent. And hopefully next time Sharon can join us as well. I know she's um, miffed that she couldn't join today, but she um, she sends her regards and she'll connect with you for sure. Martin, if people want to connect with you, work with you, find you online, what are the best places where they can? Yeah, um, you can find me on LinkedIn by searching for my name, Martin Dolan. Um I as well have now have a professional website, domain.com. It's with a Y, D-A-L-M-Y-N. I mean, I, I think I'll share it with you and then uh, maybe put add it somewhere. It would be nice. And yeah, yeah. I will add it. What else I can say is I get many messages from people asking for help like, uh, and I like like answering them. So if you, if you want anything, you can always just send me a message. And respond. Sometimes I'm a bit slow or I forget. Then just nudge me again. But yeah, the door is always open. I like helping. Thank you. And I can attest to that fact. So um, it's been great to speak with you. Everyone, thank you for watching and listening. Look out for our next video. Make sure you like us and follow us on our socials so you don't miss out on great episodes.